0: One, two, three, four. good morning welcome back to the broadcast retirement Network I'm Joe Snyder this is BRN Sunday for Sunday December 11th 20. 22. We've got members of the media, financial services, government, academia, standing by as we analyze all the news and events for the week. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. But if you're tired
1: the same
0: kick things off as we always do with a look at what is happening on capitol hill in terms of legislation regu- regulation i should say and litigation and joining me on the line he is one half of the uh, famed the famed legal eagles he's also known as kevin walsh he's a principal with room law group kevin it's great to see you thanks so much for
1: joining us on the program this morning thanks jeff it's always good to be on uh, flying fly solo
0: fluent fly flying fly solo this uh this week,
1: flying solo this December. Uh, this December morning, yep.
0: All right, let's uh, let's talk. A- Last week we talked about secure. I know we've got some updates, or maybe have some updates. We'll talk about that at the end of the segment. But I know you want to talk about the, the. I think the correction program uh, that was yeah, rolled out.
1: Yeah, let's talk out. about that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great thing to talk about this week, and then we can save the uh, secure update for the end because I know listeners. That's the uh, that's what you're, you're you know a bated breath to see if, if Secure 2.0 is going to get enacted in, in 2022 or if it's going to slip into uh, next Congress and have to, you know, start over going through committee again. Um, but yeah, this week, I think we want to talk a little bit about uh, the Department of Labor's voluntary fiduciary correction program. And for folks who are, you know, unfamiliar with this, I mean, basically, ERISA has a bunch of rules that, you know, Say things like you're not allowed to buy property from a party in interest, so from, like, a related party if you're a plan. Um, if you are making contributions to somebody's, you know, 401K, um, and you are required to make a contribution as an employer, you know, you've got to make that contribution quickly. So, you know, if you make it slowly, you've got a problem. And there's a handful of tools that the OL has to, you know, encourage compliance, and these range from, you know, lawsuits by participants, by the Labor Department, by whomever, investigations by the Labor Department, um, or uh, there's some carrots, which are are things like the Voluntary Fiduciary Correction Program. Um, And so, you know, under ERISA, if you get caught having engaged in a prohibited transaction um, or, you know, technically it's a self-assessing penalty, um, if you engage in a prohibited transaction uh, as part of the correction for that prohibited transaction, one thing you're supposed to do is pay an excise tax. Um, So essentially, if you catch yourself or if somebody else catches you, uh, you're supposed to not only, you know, go back and put the plan in a position that it would have been in had the prohibited transaction not occurred, um, you know, had your contribution been done on time. um, But you are also then supposed to pay a little bit of extra taxes to the government. Um, And, you know, as a result of this, folks are or historically were relatively slow to catch themselves. Um, in 2002, uh, the Labor Department came out with a voluntary fiduciary correction program, which is a bit of a, a, a carrot, as I've said. And the idea here is that, you know, if you went back and corrected a prohibited transaction, you, know, you made the plan haul for the blink- blink contributions uh, and you reported this to the Labor Department. The Labor Department would have the ability to, you know, provide relief from the excise tax. So essentially, you know, if you if you you know self-reported, if you policed yourself, um, DOL would say, you know, if you put the plan in a position of no harm, no foul, then they're not going to make you pay extra. And this program has, you know, had it's been it's been relatively useful. Um, but some of the problems have been things like it costs a fair amount of money to put together an application um, for it, or you know, certain types of transactions. Um, you know, the rules didn't make a ton of sense. So, I mean, an example would be, you know, if you bought property from a party in interest to make the plan whole, um, you know, under an interpretation of this, it seemed like you had to give the plan the upside of the erroneous transaction while you had to eat the downside. So, were you really making the plan whole or were you providing a windfall? Um, and last month, the Labor Department proposed modifications to this program. I, I think the most significant is that for small um you know very small problems so uh, like late transmittal of employee contributions um, where the lost earnings that would be due to the plan is a thousand dollars or less uh, they've added a self correction feature uh, and the key here is that the self-correction feature uh, doesn't require you know the lengthy application process it simply requires an email. Notifying, notifying the Labor Department that you've taken advantage of the self-correction feature um, that, you know, it's a streamlined way to encourage very small corrections to get made. Um, now, one area that I want to highlight where there's, you know, some draw, some, some walking back in a, a less positive way for plan sponsors um, is that, you know, the Labor Department clarified that, you know, you're not allowed to take advantage of this program. If you're already under investigation and, you know, on the one hand, this makes a little bit of sense, which is if, uh, if you've already been caught, uh, if the resources have already been spent trying to, you know, identify if you have a problem, you're not really saving the labor department or anybody, you know, time on their end. If you then come forward and say, oops, we got a problem you found. Um, and so with this, the labor department is saying in the proposal that if you're under investigation, you can't use the program. Um, and they've taken kind of a wonky definition of investigation. So, if you have a participant who's reached out to a benefit advisor, uh, which is, you know, a very low level of, of contact because the benefit advisors are out there to basically help people understand their benefits, the Labor Department has this, this resource. Um, but if you're just engaged in contact with that benefit advisor where no formal investigation has been opened yet, um, the proposal suggests that, you know, that would count as being under investigation. Um, so. Yeah,
0: Jeff, go on. Oh, I was going to ask you a question. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but this kind of supersedes the voluntary. What the original, you know, from when I was a record keeper, there was something called the VCP or the Voluntary Correction Procedure. I think is what what the acronym was. And this kind of supersedes that. Is that this is kind of an update to that because you can. It's and, an update. And, they, and yeah, this, this is an update. And this is not. This is not always where people are nefarious or they're doing something wrong. Things happen. So operationally, you mentioned. Contributions uh, being deposited on time—they can happen for a number of reasons. There may not be a data transmission. There uh, could be something wrong with the administrator. Um, so a lot of times, these are things that are unintended, not just intended. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Jeff, I think that's that's spot on. You know, this is a program that's been around for a while, and they're making updates to it. And you know, this is designed to help fiduciaries who realize, you know, we've we've you know had a technical foot fault. Um, we've done something inadvertent uh, and it provides a way for them to, to correct. I, I, I don't view this program as designed for, you know, bad actors mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, skirt, um, you know, justice. Um, so I, I think that's the key here. It's a proposal. They're accepting comments now. I, I think folks are going to push back a little bit on the <laughs> uh, definition of the investigation. But, you know, on the whole, it's, it's helpful that the, the, the Labor Department has this program uh, the IRS has a program as well, um, and that these provide an avenue for folks who want to put plans in the right position to do so uh, without having to, you know, go through much more burden, much significantly more burden than just, you know, getting everybody where they're supposed to be. Yeah,
0: it's it's almost like, uh, you know, if you – you don't have to do – you know, it's cheaper from an investigation perspective, as you said, to, to not sweep it under the rug – and have someone else identify it, like, oh, you know, participants start clamoring, what happened to my contributions, or why am I not getting statements or whatever? This is really a voluntary program that allows you to kind of clear the air and avoid what could be significant penalties, and um, in, in some cases, maybe even more than that, maybe criminal uh, penalties down the road.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 voluntary correction programs are, are helpful for everybody because they, you know, Allow the fiduciaries to sleep soundly at night, but they also allow the government to avoid spending resources. Yep. Uh, yep. Should we pivot to to the the topic we held out?
0: Yeah, in, I think we te- I think I think we teased them long enough. I think there, you know, there's probably people with popcorn listening to this, Kevin, and and um, yeah. So what's the latest on secure? I know there's been a, a little bit of activity this week with, I'm sure people jockeying to uh, get certain provisions in and and you know write the write the latest bill. So what's the latest here?
1: The latest with secure is that, I mean, it, it, it's still not certain if it's going to move. Um, we're having on the Hill, and I, I don't want to say we're having because I, I, I don't want to imply that I'm, I'm that involved in the discussions. Um, but there's there's fights still over top line spending numbers um, and particularly whether veterans health care is going to count towards defense spending or towards domestic spending. Um, and right now, Republicans and Democrats are pushing for parity in the amount of increase between defense spending and domestic spending. So wherever you classify uh, veterans health care is going to be, you know, moving up in parity, but, you know, taking a hit in the sense that that veterans health care is going to eat up some chunk of their increase. Um, this issue could lead to a short-term continuing resolution. Uh, at this point, with funding expiring at the end of next week, I'd be surprised if we don't get a short-term CR getting us almost to Christmas, um, which means that I'm, I'm, I don't think secure is going to pass, you know, this is Sunday now in the next six days. Mm-hmm. Um, that does put us the week leading up to Christmas where, you know, hopefully everything's been ironed out and they're able to do a long-term spending bill. A long-term spending bill would provide a, a good vehicle for secure. There's a lot of discussion still about secure. So it it, it looks like it, it has a good shot of getting on the train if the train leaves the station. Um that being said, if if they can't work out a long-term funding deal, if you know, um, if the appropriators can't uh, get long-term funding done, then this could easily turn into a continuing resolution going into next year, rather than uh, a robust package that that can provide um, a vehicle. But I'm not pessimistic yet. I'm just not <laughs> as optimistic as I was a week ago. Uh,
0: and and just for the, the, the continuing the CR originates in the house because right because the house has the the power of the purse i guess is what they would define it constitutionally but then you also need the senate on board right and then you would need the white house so everyone's got to agree so you've got to i think agree in the house of representatives knowing that you have to do business with the senate knowing you have to do business with the white house is that correct
1: yeah so a continuing resolution needs to be passed like any other uh spending bill it's going to need a majority of the House, it's going to need 60 votes in the Senate, and it's going to need the signature of the president. Hmm.
0: So there, there's a bit of a ways to go, and, and uh, well, Kevin, I think we'll we'll leave it there. I think we're going to – I guess we'll let the audience know that we'll we'll pick this back up next week. Maybe there'll be some developments, maybe not, but we plan to cover that and another great topic or two with Kevin and David. Kevin, great to talk to you as always. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to having you guys back on the program again next week.
1: Yeah, great talking to you, Jeff, and thanks, listeners. And I'd be surprised if there isn't a a more substantive update on Secure by the end of next week.
0: Thanks, Kevin. Have a great rest of the day. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. (laughs) Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee,
2: and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I I liked what he was saying.
1: Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit.
2: I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report, so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me.
1: All it takes is one call to get started.
2: Credit Repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score.
1: Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800 819 4152. That's 800 819 4152. Again, 800 819 4152.
0: Welcome back. We're going to close out the show as we always do with a look at Marcus joining us on the line. He's the lead anchor for the TD Ameritrade Network. Oliver Rennick. Oliver, thanks so much for stopping by the program this morning. Thank you,
2: Jeff. Appreciate it, as always.
0: Yeah, we certainly appreciate your excellent uh, analysis. Oliver, let's kick off uh, the conversation talking about wholesale inflation. That was released, I think, on Friday. You want to give us your your take on inflation and what it may mean to the broader economic outlook? Sure.
2: Right now, it looks like uh, we have some pretty – good signs that inflation is indeed slowing a bit, uh, plateauing possibly, but uh, it is still probably a problem. Um, PPI on Friday, a little bit warmer than expected. CPI last month, a little cooler than expected, but the overall numbers uh, seem to suggest that uh, we are past kind of the worst disruptive uh, supply-driven inflation. Now the question is how much does demand keep inflation elevated and um, uh, to what extent inflation might be cooling because consumers are losing buying power and the economy is slowing down. So that is a really important question right now. And the uh, market is showing some very interesting and pretty clear signs that it is exchanging inflation concern for recession concern. Now, we've kind of gone back and forth for the last year on what the bigger issue is, a lack of growth or too much inflation. And the, the problem has been too much inflation, not so much a lack of growth. But now the market is really trading like a drop-off in growth is now the most pertinent issue. And I can get into some of those dynamics for why.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you as a follow-up, so you know where I'm going with this, is the why and are there particular areas of the economy that are softer than others or or, or the market that are softer than others? Well, I think the
2: biggest risk is just the consumer.
0: There is no, like, smoking gun,
2: um, glaring financial risk out there right now. Um, there's no, you know, um, other than obviously the bond market has been pretty crazy. We saw that the British bond market went nuts. So, but that's kind of to the side for a moment. If inflation's peaked out. The bond market is at less of a risk. And we've seen that with treasury yields dropping. But the consumer is uh, very uh, indebted, um, yeah. Is been spending a lot on credit and the savings are being eroded partially by inflation, but also just by the propensity for us to keep spending. You can see the chart of consumer uh, savings that are, I mean, now just back to where they were before COVID basically. So all that money we got is essentially gone. Um, And I think there's a real possibility that after the holiday season, people are going to look at their bank accounts and realize that they have to really, really draw in their activity because the spending that's happening on travel and leisure right now is extremely expensive by every standard, but people are so determined to travel after the last couple of years and see family that they're willing to just get gouged by airlines, et cetera. Uh, and then the other, the other thing that's very important is that this shows up in all of the data. The employment report from last week showed gains in hospitality, travel, leisure, and restaurants. The services economy, which is what we want to see, that's good, Um, but it also is happening as wages are going up. So it looks like some of the strength of the economy that's lingering is indeed supporting inflationary forces. Now, they may be lesser than the supply-driven inflationary forces that are subsiding. But the big question of going forward, of course, is when we kind of normalize and zero out the COVID supply effects, what will inflation be due to demand? And it seems like there's good evidence that inflation is remaining pretty high due to demand. And so if inflation numbers start dropping, it may just be showing us that we are now fully falling into a deeper recession. And the market used to not care about that so much, but that's changed. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen the market trade more like it's worried about recession than inflation. And that's a very big difference um, for uh, uh, the investors and traders compared to the past year.
0: Oliver, what do you make – you mentioned credit. Uh, Let's talk about retail for a few minutes because it is the – Joyous holiday season, and that means that I was just talking to my mom, by the way, on the phone, and she told me she was getting some things for my niece and nephew in Boston. So yeah, they were looking for some Legos and things like that. So that's nice. But what do you? What do you? Probably TMI. But, but what do you make of the uh, the the outlook for retail? Let's just look at that for the the next couple minutes.
2: Yeah, um, I think that um, you're probably going to get quite a bit of volume spent. During the holiday season, because these retailers have a lot of inventory that they need to get rid of. And so they're going to have discounts. If you've been to like any shopping mall, you will have noticed that there's a lot of discounts right now, even for like popular name brands and stuff. Um, Lululemon has a billion and a half of inventory that they have to work through. Even the mighty Lululemon might end up doing some discounts at some point this holiday season. So that kind of tells you, uh, how much they over-inventoried. Um, and so consumers might get some deals, but just the habit of American consumers basically tells us that we're going to spend, like, as much as we have. And the credit data shows us we're going to spend as much as we have. So my baseline operating view is that this might be the last hurrah before the a consumer just totally hits a wall in the next quarter. I think that there's a very distinct chance the first quarter of next year is um, – a glaring drop off in activity.
0: So Oliver, uh, you know, you're you're thinking maybe just based on some of the economic evidence and the financial evidence that there could be we could be kind of floating into that recession territory. What about the I guess my last question, what about the, what will the Fed do or at least what are you hearing from your guests? And the people that you talk to about what the Fed could do because they did raise rates. They did looks like they did uh-huh. manage to chop down inflation. Although I would argue, I just paid three dollars and change, uh, probably three nineteen for gas from my from my wife's car. Um, so I I still think that's high. Uh, but um, you know I go into the supermarket and chicken's expensive, beef's expensive. So yeah. so what you know what what does the Fed? How does the Fed react? Because they've got to continue, I would think, to chop down inflation at the same time. You don't want to push us over the, uh, not the economy, over the, uh, the hump, into a recessionary yeah. territory. That is, of
2: course, the big concern right now. The evidence is starting to build that they did push us too far. But there's also ample evidence that they're going to have to continue. Just because inflation is peaked and perhaps plateauing, it just still is too high. It's still too much of a problem. The employment situation is remaining very robust, so from the Fed's perspective, uh, they have plenty of room to keep chipping away uh, at the heart of the economy, basically, because they're just not seeing any big effect in employment yet. So, uh, I think they feel pretty comfortable that they certainly have made some impact. I think they basically they see a perfect combination of the efficacy of their program through lower housing prices, lower stock prices, and demand um, eventually waning. So I think they see that they're having some success through those measures, but then they look at the employment situation and the overall level of inflation and think they need to keep going. So I think it's kind of a moment here where investors are a bit of a lose-lose. And the market has suggested that's the case because we have now sold, stocks have sold off on bad data, and good data. The past year, we were mostly selling off on good data because it would embolden the Fed to keep hiking faster. But now we're selling off on not just good data, but bad data, too, and kind of a little bit harder on some of the bad data. So the market seems to be telling investors that they're really just stuck right now. Uh,
0: Oliver, I lied. It's not the last question. One more, and I promise okay, you, can still, you can do a 30 or 45 second on this one. But uh, just from people you talk to, is it a shallow – Recession, meaning it's not going to last years. What are what are the what are people telling you? What is the reporting that you're doing kind of saying? So, if we do have a recession, which it looks like there may be some downturn, is it how long? Is it is it a shortened recession, a a, a shallow recession, or is it a more steeper recession?
2: Uh, Well, I think that. it's very tough to know. Of course, I think a lot of people are hoping that it's kind of a mild, consumer-driven slowdown mm-hmm. without any obvious landmines in the financial world. It's very possible that it can avoid being a uh, you know an O A type situation. I don't think there's a lot of evidence that there's tender waiting to be burnt up and you know like a bunch of dry leaves in the economy or in the fi- in the structure of the financial world. But my baseline continues to be .dot com, and I think that should be the baseline. I think it's probably going to mean uh, more stock downside because of earnings deterioration. So it's going to be a bit of a different type of bear market, but a bear market nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and um, we'll just have to see really what kind of a uh, policy support comes from the from the government, if any. As um, I think you pretty much have to expect
0: that consumers going to run out of run out of steam. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see, and I know that in the Congress, we often talk about spending on the program with you, and I know the, the Congress and the, are working on the continuing resolution for the budget, so that'll be certainly another thing that people, I guess, factor into the markets. Oliver, we're going to leave it there. Really appreciate you stopping by, and uh, really enjoy your programming on the TD Ameritrade Network. We uh, look forward Thank to you having go. you back next week, and wish you a very happy rest of the weekend. Take care. We got it. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> and that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to? Then drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, visit our website and, of course, all of our streaming partners. We're backing in tomorrow for another edition of AM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.